Hi everybody, welcome, welcome. Our beautiful assistant, Rick Scott, is just uh, getting more air and light into the situation for us. Um, can you hear us all right at the back? All right, I'm gonna let Lisa check, check her mic too. Can you hear me at the back? Excellent, thanks. There, happy. Rick's, oh sorry, we have to use a mic though, that's a good point. Thank you, Rick. Um, welcome everybody to, um, what is it, agreeing disagreeably? Agreeing or disagreeing agreeably? Disagreeing <laughs> agreeing, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna introduce ourselves, we're gonna give some thoughts that we have um, around this, then we're gonna open up for questions. Yep. Um, so, Lisa, who are you? <laughs> My name is Lisa. Um, I am a postdoc researcher, Queen's University, uh, in politics and law. Uh, the reason I'm here is probably because I've spent quite a lot of time um, in and out of the, the broad world of politics in different kind of guises and contexts. And that's where I'll be speaking from, not necessarily um, dealing with disagreement in the context of the church, but more, uh, what can we say, in the world of politics, contested issues, quite used to speaking about that and being in those arenas. So going to bring some reflections on that, hopefully. That's me. Uh, my name is Peter Lannis. Uh, I work for the Evangelical Alliance, so I am used to working with disagreements uh, within churches at times. It's part of what I do. Um, so I also have a law background, so you've got two lawyers who are quite used to arguing with other people and potentially each other. Uh, so and quite enjoy engaging on some of the social media kind of issues around this and trying to engage in the public square. Um, and so look, here's our confession. Lisa and I don't know each other really, really well. We do know each other. So it's sometimes harder when somebody you don't know. So this is kind of an almost live, we're like guinea pigs in the trial of how we disagree yes. well and not. But we are going to share some ideas, uh, just how we do this in our different spheres. Um, we'll probably spark off each other a bit. And then absolutely, we're really open to questions. That's probably more fun for us. So Lisa, you, you had some ideas in terms of how you do this and navigating the spaces that you're in. Yes. So... Um, I guess a little bit of context. The, uh, I've previously spent time working for politicians, um, for a politician in Westminster, and also um, out in, in Brussels and in, in the US um, Congress. And one of the kind of observations I had as a Christian in those contexts, but about politics, so it's not in necessarily talking about Christian issues, but when you receive a lot of correspondence, when I say you as a, like generally the lowest level in a politician's office, like the dog's body that does all of the stuff. You open a lot of the letters and the emails and you do an initial response and sifting. And quite often you get a lot of criticism that comes through to the politician that you're working for. And in my experience, and this is not across the board, it's very anecdotal, but letters from Christians tended to be some of the most negative and most critical, um, partly because you can critique a policy, but when you're also able to kind of call on the name of the Lord against the politician standing or their policy, that adds a particular gravity to it. Um, and so part of that experience kind of informed, started me questioning through the whole thing about how as Christians ought we to engage in political issues, but also just issues that people disagree on that, that are a bit gray, that there isn't necessarily a black and white response to. Um, and what is it or what ought it to be? How ought it to be different if you have faith? Um, so I then came up with 
three thoughts. Obviously, in the context of coming to speak here today, I put a little bit more thought into it. Um, so I might go through the three. You do your three thoughts. Okay, three thoughts. Um, number, number one, ends do not justify means. So in the world of politics, ends do justify, or means are justified by the end that you result you get, okay? So I want to get a politician elected. I do all that I can and like say what I need to say in order to get that person elected. Or if I believe that my policy is the one that's going to be for the benefit of the maximum number of people, then I will do all that I can to get that policy passed and enacted because that's your conviction, right? So you're looking at the end and the means gets a little bit like, eh, you know, we do what we have to do. As a Christian the means by which you do something, the way you engage in a topic, the way you engage with other people who disagree with you or institutions, all of that is, is a whole part of it and, and really matters and the tone really matters. So ends don't justify means when you're engaging in contested topics as a Christian. Second one, and we can go into loads more detail about either of these, but um, relationships are more important than rules. Um, that one can be a bit tricky because the implication by saying that is that rules aren't important or that guidelines aren't important or convictions aren't important. That's not what you're saying. But the relationship with the person or with people, with a community, with a group ought to be first and foremost. And I think that sometimes means not holding back sometimes for the sake of a relationship rather than going all in with what you think and your opinion. Anyway, we can discuss that one. Uh, and then the third one is about humility. Um, there's this uh, verse in scripture that I found so helpful through the years when you're talking about political things. Um, it's a, I think it's 1 Corinthians 8 when they're having a big hoo-ha about uh, meat and eating meat back in the early church. Um, and it says, the person who thinks they know... Uh, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever God, whoever loves God is known by God. I messed that up. Let's do it again. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by him. And why does that matter? What does that apply to? So I think as soon as you are in the position or you find yourself thinking that my position or my understanding of this issue is the whole truth, and there's nothing more to know, and I am completely right, check yourself <laughs> as a Christian because, because we believe in a God who knows all, and we, by definition, set ourselves up under his authority. And while each of us are an expression and reflection of who he's called us to be and what he's doing in the world, none of us are going to have a monopoly on what he's doing in the world and what he has to say. So those are my three, right? Ends don't justify means, relationships over rules, and humility. Thoughts? Thoughts? Well, no, I, I think I largely agree. So what might be, I, I was going to set out the three kind of questions or way I sometimes engage, and I think there's then points of overlap and points of uh, intrigue around. So as I thought about reflecting, I, I like Simon Sinek, who does the why, how, what. Um, so when I'm thinking of engaging, I'm like, why am I engaging in this? What defines it? And, you know, it might sound really obvious, but I'm driven by my understanding of the God story. But even in that, it's going to be my understanding, as in it's informed by lots of other people. 
But so I'm trying to say, what does the God story have to say on this? And I believe it has lots to say on lots of issues. So, you know, I know we were saying even in the blurb at the start, look, it said about trans issues, climate change and immigration. Every one of those, I'm going to say, okay, what does the God story have to say about that? That's going to drive my why. And Simon Sinek says that's right at the center of the circle of the engagement. Then I need to think about the how I'm going to engage. And, and I think definitely the challenge there is... is um, around what you were saying in terms of the humility and the relationships piece, like it's driven by a culture of integrity and truthfulness, but also that kind of grace and mercy. How do we do that engagement in the, gov the, the public square? How does that look? And, and so that's the kind of cultural piece for me, having, having understood what the story, the God story is saying. Then the what will often look different, as in what issue I might go after, or Lisa might go after, but also what policy we may say we disagree. I'm deeply passionate about climate change, but we might say, hey, we have different understanding about what the role is of electric cars in that versus organic foods versus flying. We might say we are all passionate about creation care. We don't have a choice in that, in my understanding of God's story. We need to do that with truthfulness and, and, and grace as the way we engage, that we might, on the what level, then come to different conclusions. And so for me, I was also trying to rest with, like, I suppose, how we understand some of those things in the engagement. And then one other piece I was saying then, I think, yeah, linking to what you were saying, one of the things we, we said as a team as we were engaging a little bit in the public square and particularly on media was, um, as a former court lawyer and somebody who quite enjoys court combat, let's just be honest, so my spiritual gift I thought was arguing, but apparently that's not in there. Um, so... Um, I mean, there's a couple of things in that. One is you put on the wig and the gown to go into court and you take it off at lunchtime and then you just kind of go and have lunch with the person you've just been arguing with. And in some sense, you're putting it on to go back into kind of mock battle and there's a detachment in that. But one of the things we had to wrestle with was this is a jury trial rather than before a judge. And what I mean by that is sometimes you can be arguing with somebody, particularly on media or social media, and you're trying to convince that person and you, you largely won't. They are actually locked in their view. Um, but actually, it's, the, it's the, the watchers on social media, it's the listeners on the media who are much more. So it's a jury trial in the sense I'm trying to convince them in that moment about what I'm talking about and about, you know, point them towards Jesus. So we literally have this, you know, our question is every time we're on the media, it's a jury trial. What have we done to signpost people towards Jesus? Which may mean, and actually I'm losing the argument the lawyer in me has to concede in that moment with the person I'm arguing with or appearing to, but actually people are much more convinced by the style and the way you've conducted yourself in that moment. And I think that gets to the core of some of what we're talking about, disagreeing well, because the moment I am wired and driven to want to beat somebody in that moment, I'm wired to argue, and I have to hold back that nature within me, which is not a good nature, <laughs> in, in responding to that. So at the jury trial analogy is, I think, my equivalent of that humility in the moment of how you do that. That's not to say we always get it right, by the way, and there's a team then tells me afterwards why I didn't get that right uh, sometimes. So I think that resonates with some of the points you were saying in, the, in some of that. Absolutely. Here's here a go. This is where it gets fun now. Let's go. <laughs> it's not a disagreement. Um, what I was just thinking when you say that, I do think there's there's a dynamic sometimes when you're engaging um, as someone who, I mean, growing up my with my siblings, we, we debated things over the dinner table a lot. That was kind of one of the cultural aspects of our family. And it took me a while to realize that outside of that context, you can be having a conversation. And while I'm engaging in a kind of enjoyable, let's wrestle out this issue, the person on the other side, it can be about their fundamental identity. and. I do think there's a particularity about um, Christians engaging in debate because our identity is held on high 
by the Lord. And, and we know that there's a security that comes with that. And therefore, somewhat of a detachment from some of the culturally contentious issues. But people that you can be dialoguing with, it can be their whole self that's kind of on the line, or at least it feels like that. We did this exercise, um, this was a couple of years ago, in a, the setting we were kind of talking about how to disagree as Christians or how to deal with some of the issues around um, identity and sexuality. And the guy who was leading the session, you'll be happy, I'm not going to make you do this, um, got us to write down something on a little scrap of paper that no one else knows about you or that you've never told anyone. Fold it up and then, you know, we're holding it. They'd, he did say we're not going to have to read it out. But then you had to pass it to the person to your right and they were holding it. And then they asked, how do you feel right now? And we all felt vulnerable. <laughs> we all felt exposed. And I think sometimes when we engage in topics that to us are engaging in a debate or trying to wrestle out to get to a better truth or a better, um, a better rule, a better uh, place and policy, for someone in the room, it is very likely to have something to do with their identity or their experience or to have some level of trauma. And I think you have to be able to to hold that while you're also engaging in the conversation. Um, and I'm not trying to pretend like it's easy, but that uh, to understand what can be on the line in that for the members of your jury at any given time. Yeah, I, I well, so there's a relationship agreement kind of grid that we talked very briefly about beforehand that I think also plays into that. So if you're in relationship with somebody and you agree with them, that, that's a pretty easy conversation to have and, and to chat through some stuff. And actually, if you're in no real relationship with people and there's no agreement, in a sense, that's clearer. Um, I think the two trickier bits are where you're in relationship and there's not agreement. So we have this deep friendship, we have this deep relationship, whatever it is, but we have a profound disagreement. I probably saw that quite a lot in politics. And I think in the US, they saw it here, we saw it in Brexit, the kind of Trump-Hillary stuff. Often people who had family members, deep agreement, uh, sorry, deep relationship, and then now no agreement on this issue that was coming quite critical for them. And then when you have no relationship, but agreement. So something, something like the trans issue for me, I find sometimes interesting. People I have no relationship with and a very different worldview from, but actually I probably align pr pr primarily with feminist lesbians and fundamental Christians in this moment, sort of a weird amalgam. And I wouldn't call them, but that's like, you know, but that you so... But then you have to say, it goes back to the core story thing for me. So I find myself totally agreeing with J.K. Rowling on this particular issue and disagreeing with how she got there and on almost everything else underneath it. Mm. Now, not that I'm sitting with J.K. having a conversation. It's just like, this is interesting as to how this pans out in space. And with other parents, mm. people who come up alongside and somebody said to me recently, a swim gala, I don't agree with all that you tweet, probably in brackets sexuality, but I'm so glad you tweeted about this. And we pointed down to the pool where our daughters were swimming, said it's not fair that they might have to compete against boys and it's not right they should be in the changing rooms with them. So in a moment, now we have a sort of then quite an interesting missional encounter where we have a, a moment of agreement, we have sufficient relationship to start to engage in that, but we know there's lots of areas we're going to disagree as well. And so I find it interesting how we carry ourselves in that moment, I think is going to be the big thing that shifts the conversation. And I think that's probably our area of agreement, because yeah. we are exploring our own relationship yes. live in front mm -hmm. of you. Yes. Um, as, we, as we wrestle with the dynamics of how to do this, uh -huh. you know, we're saying either of us could have done this with friends that we've known for years, and some of you might know a guy called Barry Ford, and I can tell where Barry Ford's wrong in a whole load of areas, because <laughs> Barry and I used to live together at university, uh, and he could tell you where he thinks I'm wrong, but of course he wouldn't be right about that. <laughs> we're two lawyers, and that's great, and we know each other well. So this is really interesting, because we're doing 
in a sense, something slightly live. With, we know each other. Mm -hmm. We know some bits of each other's views, but not a lot. And we're trying to navigate what does it look like to do that very publicly in this moment and then try and work out how we do disagreement and agreement well. Agreed. So what, uh, you, you, agreed, there we go, we've agreed. You wanna, yeah, uh, yeah, over to you, and then we will maybe open up to some questions, because we reckon we'll spark better off questions in a way. Yeah. Well, I say let's open up to questions now, oh, what do you think? Let's go. So, um, I think the beauty of the two of us is we really don't care what you ask. Yeah, we're we're pretty it. game <laughs> to engage on stuff. So, mm -hmm. if you have a question, wave, shout, Yes. So John Lennox said uh, at New Horizon that we absolutize the relative and we relativize the absolute. How do we navigate those moments, Lisa? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, John Lennox is a wise guy. Uh, how we navigate those moments. I think the problem comes, um, and this is perhaps going to be me dodging the question, but uh, on the core issues, what's the, the old quote, um, really old quote? Uh, on the essentials, unity. On the non-essentials, liberty. And in everything, grace and love. Something like that. They said it back in the 16th, 17th century. Um, and I think what is often missed in engaging in those topics when you meet, and absolutely agree, meet the something that has become a relative, but to you is an absolute, what becomes most key in that kind of trinity of liberty, unity, and grace and love is, is the means by which you engage in that. Um, you have to, we have to recognize that if you're engaging in a conversation with someone who fundamentally believes differently that there is no God for me to say, I believe this because God says it. I mean, that's just irrelevant to them. So we have to be able to step back and have a more perhaps nuanced language to be able to dialogue. Because while I think that's an absolutely correct observation about the way culture and the church sometimes is set up at the moment, we can't, we'll lose the ability to have a conversation if we can't learn how to meet in the context of things that have been relativized to us that are absolutes. We still have to be able to, to begin to talk about those conversations without just coming in by saying, ah, but God says it. I haven't really answered the question. No, I don't. I think for me then, it's, and it's also on the persuasive point, so to say God said it is a perfectly acceptable answer for why I hold that view. Uh, if I'm going to persuade the other person saying God said it, if they don't believe in God, isn't going to move them along. But uh, so for me, to, I, I would anchor it into the God story. I would say that's why I hold that belief. But I acknowledge, for example, if I'm engaging in something like abortion in the public square, that's going to take 10 to 15% of people with me. If I say, well, the Bible says this life is valuable in Psalm 139 and, and going from there. But, but for the other 85%, it doesn't move the dial for them. So I'm going to engage with them where they're at if I want to persuade them. And I am wired towards persuasion. So I, mm. But it's perfectly acceptable to say, I believe this because God said it. But it's not going to convince the next person. Mm. 
So that's where I'm going to change. What is my aim? Or what am I? It's to be missional in all I do. I want to win people towards Jesus in the broadest sense. Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well is fascinating. Like she goes away and tells, come and see a man who's done it, told me everything I ever did. It's a truth encounter. It's a radical encounter, but it's always missional. So Jesus' encounters are always seeking that. So I get intrigued about that. I can take the kind of slightly defensive position and go back on that. And we do live in a really interesting world where there were more dominant stories, and we would have talked about those now. We all have our own personal story. And so there are, that leads to more bumping and clashing. And people can say that, but then if I'm going to seek to persuade them, I'm going to, like, like Paul and Mars Hill, meet them at their point of need and engage them. But he still says, hey, I see you've got a statue to an unknown God. Let me tell you who I think that unknown God is and starts the conversation. I think that's where it gets interesting to me. What are we doing? So we can hold our beliefs and say, absolutely, God said I see in the Bible. But if I want to persuade you, I'm going to have to be a bit more creative in thinking, how, where's the bridge build point? Where's your pinch point? Yes. yes, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes, and I think one of the one of the interesting ways, and I get in my work and context in life, I would never be able to say this because the Bible says, but I absolutely hold the conviction that God's ways are the best ways in the most holistic sense, and so the better we can, the closer our policies and our society can look to the way God has. Uh, written out and where you have to talk about you know justice and righteousness and um, everyone getting their portion and uh, everyone being recognized with value all of those like the the vision is big enough and powerful enough I think to win people over without having to bring in on, on every occasion scripture in the bible at the very point of entry into dialogue. Do you agree? Not that you can detach it from the God story, but that it's like how you, where you start the conversation um, can be powerful. Yeah, well, I think it's so context specific. So I, it's very easy for me in many ways, just to be clear. Like I work for the Evangelical Alliance. It's on my Twitter handle. So when I do that, the only thing I have to do is behave myself. Like I, I can absolutely articulate and some would say I don't always do that, you know, but that, that they, you know, articulating from a, a Christian perspective straight out of the bat very publicly is very different for me than it is for Lisa in the role that she occupies. So in private conversation, we'll do something differently perhaps than we would in the public square. You can't go in and say, I'm arguing for Brexit policy based on Genesis 1, da, da, da. And yeah. kind of, that's not the, the, yes. So we have to understand the context that we're navigating uh, in, in these conversations, which I think is, is huge. And we're all going to find ourselves in really different spaces. Um, so let's take another question. Or we'll just chat about things that entertain us now. <laughs> Come on, be brave, put your hand up, throw something up at us. It's gonna, it's gonna be, yes. No. So I'll give you a quick answer, and then Lisa will give you the sensible answer. So for me, it's a lot about gifting. I remember a pastor ringing me one day, and he was really concerned about how to engage in social media on a topic. And I said, you probably shouldn't. He's like, oh, but yeah. And I said, I have some experience in this, and I'm wired for this, and I believe it's a kind of prophetic role. And I don't hear that overclaiming. Like that, that's to, to kind of speak into the public square on certain issues. And I'm privileged to have a position that allows me to do that. And it's something I can do. And you see, when I get pushback, I genuinely, the court thing of the whole take off the wig and go away, 
the per people pushing back on me aren't attacking me. They're attacking a whole set of ideas, and, and it doesn't bother me. But I knew for him, every single tweet back was going to pain him because he's a pastor. He really likes people. I, I don't really mind people. I'd happily go and sit on my own somewhere. You know, so... Um, so it was going to be really, and that was not his role. And in the same way, you shouldn't sit me down with somebody in a crisis one-on-one. -on -one. I'd find somebody pastoral, please, to help out. I know what I can do, and that's my gifting. And I know, and I said, your gifting's really different. You pastor people every day, and that's going to be a very different conversation. Because when somebody comes along, you'll still talk about the same issues, potentially. Somebody who's wrestling with their identity, somebody who's wrestling with sexuality, all sorts, or, or like lots of issues coming. Your engagement's going to look different, but it is necessary that we're both there. This is where the body thing kicks in. Like, we are the body of Christ, and so we operate in very different ways in our spheres, but we're all honoring the calling and gifting that we've been given. And I think understanding your giftings, the first thing I'd say to anybody who comes along and says, I want to get involved in some of these spaces, whatever, I'd say, what's your gifting? Do you understand what your gifting is to engage? And the next thing, pretty quickly, is who you're accountable to, especially if you want to do a more public edge of this. You've got to have people who can call you out and say, right, you got it wrong there, you need to dial that back if you're going to enter the public space in this. And that is definitely not everybody's role, I would say. Um. I don't disagree. Um, <laughs> I, I would recognize that there, there is a tension um, between, in scripture it talks about wisdom being uh, personified as a woman that stands on street corners and calls out. Um, and I think there's a role in the church to, to call out wisdom and to say when things are not going in the right direction. At the same time, it describes that the type of heavenly wisdom to be um, peace-loving and submissive and kind and full of mercy and good fruit. Um, and the, the essential individual application for that can be, Lord, when is it a moment for me to call out with heavenly wisdom? And when is it a moment for me to to just be at peace and rest and let it flow over and let the body of Christ, because it's not us. He doesn't need us to defend him. He invites us in to this beautiful um, picture of his ministry to the world that's wholly comprehensive, but that you're only going to play one tiny little part. And knowing what that part is, is part of the journey. And it's one that we're all on continually. Um, but no, it, it's the answer that you're, as a Christian, you don't have to speak about everything that Christians speak about. And invariably, you will disagree with Christian perspectives on different things. And that is, that's one of the tensions. Um, I don't speak about issues around that you would engage in, but I do. <laughs> um, more presently, it's been the, the Brexit debate that I've been very kind of involved in. And that's been uh, a very different but interesting one anyway. That can take me on a tangent forever. So. Well, no, we can open up that tangent in a moment. And I think for me, Daniel's a real hero in this space. I think very aligned to what you're saying. So you think of Daniel, you think he's the great guy who stood up, resolved not to defile himself. And that's true. It's one of the reasons I really like Daniel. But, but Daniel learned the language and culture of Babylon. That was cultural shaping. Language is incredibly powerful at shaping. Daniel took on a name to Belteshazzar, to a foreign god. Naming is incredibly important. Like he didn't, he didn't, kick back against any of that that we're told. That's really weird in a sense. So he's not the great stand and resolving guy in a sense. Then he does draw a line at a key point, which is kind of ambiguous, like possibly because if it was like um, offered to idols, that's most likely. But he had a name to Belteshazzar. That's weird he didn't draw the line there. And then even when he draws a the line, it's not the classic 
Ulster says no line. Like it's a kind of strange way he does it. He goes to Ashpenaz, the palace official, and says, listen, can we do a deal about this? And Ashpenaz is really nervous and says no. He appears then to go to a local guard and he says, can we do a 10-day test? Like, and he negotiates, he has relationships with everybody, so that ultimately, where does he find himself? He is the guy who has access to Nebuchadnezzar when he has the dreams, and what does he then bring? So he's got enough cultural insight to get himself in the room, because he's found to be 10 times wiser than anybody else in the kingdom. He has cultural insight, but then he's the guy who can do the supernatural dream interpretation. Not him, because God gave him the dream. But I know a lot of people who can read culture really well, but aren't going to bring the supernatural into the room. I know a lot of supernatural people, but they haven't got the cultural nose to get themselves into any interesting rooms. What we need in this moment is enough cultural understanding and then the supernatural insight to change rooms. That's what Daniel does. So I love Daniel now. He doesn't draw the lines where everybody thinks. He's not the simple, hey, he just stood up and, and resolved not to define himself. He was three steps in before he did that. I don't know if he's right or wrong, but I find it a deeply intriguing story. But he gets himself positioned then that when the moment of influence comes, he's not afraid to bring supernatural authority into a room in a unique way that I think we need in our cultural moment. Because our culture is having nightmares like Nebuchadnezzar is. That's the reality. Some people literally just don't sleep. It never ceases to amaze me how many of my friends say, oh, yeah, I slept well, only woke three times. What? What's your version of sleeping well? But we are having a larger cultural nightmare. And then our role as Christians is to, is to kind of speak supernaturally and bring that interpretation into the moment in small ways, in friendly ways, in social media ways, in provocative ways, in lots and lots of different ways as the body corporate. Comment mm. or question, where are we going? Uh, <laughs> you decide. Um, maybe I'm hesitating over. So a practical example, because I would recognize that it's not easy to know. And it's, sometimes it's not easy, even if you feel like you are being led in a particular direction. Uh, it, can, it can be uncomfortable. An example at risk of oversharing. Um, working for a politician, uh, good, um, good politician, huge amount of respect for them. Um, their party policies, as you might expect, I didn't fully agree with all of them, but that not your role, but you're just there. Uh, one of the tasks that I was involved in was their um, portfolio dealing with kind of minority rights at the time, so a while ago. Um, and one of the areas that I actually found in delivering for the politician was getting better recognition, this could be controversial, um, for uh, Buddhism in the, the public square and particularly the military forces um, and also uh, investigating rights around minority um, declarations on passport forms. <laughs> in taking those on, I had convictions that made me uncomfortable with some of that. Um, but at the time, I did not feel that it was my role or that I had the grace to, um, and when I say the grace, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit telling me to, right, this is your moment, like, stand up there and declare what you think about these issues. It was to, to respect, to honor, to do what you could, to deliver in a good job. Um, there have been other occasions a bit further on where I'm in rooms and I feel a conviction about an issue, very different issue, more on the um, implications of changes on the level of kind of Brexit legal stuff that is going to affect um, the position of minorities in the society, that I do feel the grace and I do feel that you have more of an authority to stand and say, I actually don't think this is right. And it's not because, I'm not saying because I'm a believer, again, back to, the, to your question, um, but it's because it's, 
it's better for, for the majority of the people. So I guess I'm just acknowledging that it can be difficult to be in those places when there's a lot of change and flux and force around and knowing and trying to discern in absolutely imperfectly, you'll get it wrong, but trying to hear the Lord in those contexts can be complex and you do what you can do and you pray that the Lord covers it with grace. That was like a live confession. That was good. No, no, I, well, I totally agree on the religious freedom point and I agree, I think there are also, we've got to as a religious freedom for all. If it's not for all, it doesn't protect anybody and Christians have always been at the forefront of that. The very idea of religious freedom is a biblical idea from Genesis 3, we're given, or Genesis 2, sorry, almost we're given freedom and, uh, and it's been core again in the DNA of Christians to argue for that. And I also think we need to distinguish, and I think it's linked to what you were saying, between the rules or the, or the ideas that are given to us as Christians. What do we as believers, like what... You know, and, and then what is given for the general good of society. So Sabbath rest is a great idea for everybody. Everybody should have a day of rest. So I'm like a big fan of kind of like that idea that we should find ways of Sabbath rest. I used to work for a thing called Keep Sunday Special. Because, oh man, that's such a kind of hardline little group. And I was like, actually, most of the big shop and the unions agreed that we actually work most closely with the unions around this because workers need a day of rest. But what we don't do is legislate, what we did historically at times, don't legislate, say you must give a tithe to the church. Like that's, that's clearly for Christians, that's what we're called to do. So there are things around human dignity and identity and justice and rights. And I'm going, that's good for all people. Let's argue for that into society. And then there are things that we as Christians are called to do, to give of our tithe to God and in, in, in an act of worship. That's something that we want to encourage Christians to do. And I think we need to be careful in how we do some distinguishing around that. But with that, let's get a last question or two. See if somebody can stump Lisa. Who is the brains of the operation here? I disagree. It's all right, I'm the looks, it's fine. Uh, any more questions? Maybe, maybe we'll allow you. Okay, go. Yeah, that's a great. No, I think it's a great question. I'm just going to process it through. So I think more emphasis in the pastor on speaking the truth, not to trip back on yours, but I'm not sure that I see a dichotomy between those because you're going to be truthful in the pastoral situation. Jesus does this beautiful thing in, in, in John 4 when he, he manages that, you know, does that. And so I want to hold those. You're right to push me back. I'm not saying I'm not being pastoral at all in, in a situation. Um, I don't see them in maybe the same place of tension so a lot of that's to do with relationship and space and role as to how we're going to navigate that so at its core and let's i mean I'll, i'm happy to talk about an issue like something like sexuality the pastoral and the truthful response aren't at odds to me there is a tone in our articulation so depending on whether i'm one-to-one -one with the person depending on what we're doing on a whether we're doing a podcast or a live stream and depending on whether i'm engaging with a politician like just how that's nuanced in is going to maybe feel a little different. Fundamentally, what I'm going to say about that isn't radically changing in that, isn't changing at all in the conversation. It is anchored for me and my understanding, like what the God story is saying in that moment. So I think both sides have to be careful that we don't say in a pastoral response that allows us to kind of nuance out into kind of blandness, going to push a bit there and say, so you dumb everything down a bit. On the other side, the the provocateurs need to be careful. The prophetic edge needs to make sure it does have a pastoral side to it as well. But it shouldn't change what we're saying. 
I think that's the tension, but that is the hardest bit to navigate on some of the really toxic issues. Do you want to come back to me on that? Do you ever think it's okay to not say something? Yes. So we declare, just, uh, sorry, Liz, you, I, we, I probably do one in 10 media thing that I'm asked to do, and even within that, then I say a tenth of what I might say. Uh, the first of those is wisdom. The second of those is wisdom and a bit of help from friends. You know, it's just like being really careful. So, and then you're going, my goodness, he must be insane what he's thinking of saying. But like there is a, you're trying to absolutely navigate. So there's definitely points where you go, there's no good way out of this. This is a toxic conversation that's been set up. And um, there are other moments where um, John and I, so John, John was the rainbow lead in Northern Ireland and he and I were invited onto the Nolan TV show one night and we knew each other from some stuff we'd done. And we was late, and I met him in the car park in the way, and I said, John, they're setting us up for the fight, you know this. And he goes, yeah, yeah. And we said, well, let's try something different. So we, we, we orchestrated the two of us sat side by side at the table, and we knew each other well enough to say, let's try not to just flare this up for the sake of it. And so me is the yeah, late at the time. He is, he is the rainbow guy, sat side by side. So they, they brought us in and went to put us, and we just literally shimmied around. Jim Allister was the other guy. We shimmied Jim around the other side of the table to leave he and I side by side. It might not have meant much to many people, but in that moment, he and I knew we were, we were sitting side by side rather than the usual adversarial. And then we actually went on to a global piece where we knew we could agree that what was being done in other countries around LGBT rights was just fundamentally wrong. And I could say that too, and he could say that, and we could find a place of agreement while also being clear in the show we totally disagreed. So in that small moment, which may not have registered for many, many people, we were trying to find a pastoral way through. And then later we were able to, their, their place was attacked and my colleagues much more pastoral than I am. We sent down some donuts and it just opened up a whole series of conversations. None of that goes public and you don't, like, I don't even want to say it. Like, there's just lots of behind the scenes stuff that you're trying to navigate as well as, so I've gone on too long, but it's trying to hold attention. I don't think you change your fundamental set of beliefs and stories in this moment for me, but how I engage and how that's heard is incredibly important. And I've probably been changed in that. So I was much more, let's just tell as it is and be done with it. I've stated the truth, I'm done to I have to try and persuade people of what I believe to be fundamentally true. This is game changing to me. So I am much more interested in what's persuasive than what is just statement of truth. It's the missional edge that has reframed my engagement in the public square. And you'd be more than welcome to tell me it needs to reframe it more, but I am trying to be way more missional in engagement than a previous statement of truth. That's my confession. So. Don't have much to add, I think that's good. It comes back to that, um ends don't justify means piece, I think. Uh, I would also just say, perhaps adding a bit more context, that sometimes, I think, in Christian engagement in the public square, there is a, a pressure and a push to address certain issues and certain topics that aren't the only topics that Christians have something to say about. And there can be something uh, strong about balancing um, what you represent on issues like abortion, sexuality, um, the kind of marriage, uh, trans rights, those sorts of things with, I mean, in this context, Northern Ireland's, uh, I quoted this yesterday, but um, domestic abuse here is really bad. We're the worst in the UK. Um, whereas the church's response to the Me Too movement, which is not detached from some of those other, like abortion issues and that sort of thing. Also, the, the truth and, and relationship pastoral stuff. 
I mean, where's the calling out of truth in some of our economic um, principles and philosophies that drive towards profit for its own end? And we know what that's doing to our planet. We know that what that does to, to people that are on the harsh side of that and the edge of that. And so I think there can be something in that tension of truth and relationship to do what we can to, in a missional sense and for a persuasion aim, to preach the whole of the gospel not just what the gospel has to say about the particular issues that the narrow kind of pool of culture would want you to engage with, but to allow us as followers to, to kind of try to contend, to have a, a response to, to all of the nightmares that culture has. What do you think? Uh, totally, and I think to the culture war point earlier and some of that, like we have to frame it differently. We used to be in a majority and we used to occupy a different position and that, that's just historic reality and we operate in a particular way. We are not that. We are in a minority and we're often seen actually as the immoral minority and we absolutely need to reimagine what engagement in the public square and by public square, I mean not social media and the conversation on the side of the sports pitch. Like everybody, these are all public square conversations. We need to reimagine what that looks like. And we don't need to go defensive. That seems to be some of our current posture. You get really defensive and reactive. And we need to be very careful about that. Um, because we're not in a culture war in that sense. Analogies are always limited. Some one I used to, like we're in a game of football, we're 10 nil up and you know, they're in our 18 yard box with 10 seconds to play. Now, I don't, you have to be really careful not to sound super arrogant in that, but it's as in, you know, the decisive battle has been fought. The problem with the left behind series wasn't just that it was really badly written, it was theologically inept. Jesus has already won the battle. None of you know what I'm talking about, so it's just for the old people in the room. Okay, so, but Jesus has won. So, but in that it's not, hey, we're on the winning side, ha ha, yo, it's like, Wow, we've got a story that really is the story of the whole world. If, if Christianity is true at all, it is public truth and it's true for everybody. So the invitation is into that. We're not in a culture war because this story is ultimately the defining story of the entire reality of the universe. And it's not my job to fight that battle. God's already done that. Jesus already has done that. But he invites us, Lisa and I and all of you, into small parts of that in our peace, trying to understand our giftedness, our personalities, our role in that moment, and what we've been asked to do with that. Um, so I think that's where we've got to be really careful of the cultural war analogy. It's really flawed and really unhelpful. That doesn't mean there aren't moments of battling. That doesn't mean there aren't contested moments. Things in our schools and in some of these places are quite contested. But if we're only seen on that and we are rubbish on creation care as we often are, on immigration as we often are, then people don't want to hear us because say, hold on, if you're into human dignity, let's see human dignity at every stage of life. We need to do better on that stuff for sure. So do we have time for one last question and then we'll wrap up? To ask, both ask your question and then we'll see how we're answering them. So do you want to go first? Because he's a troublemaker. Okay, so I'm going to get second question and then we'll, we'll, re, we'll say them both out to the room and then Lisa's taking the first one. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I'm joking, we'll see what we do. You still secretly regard how they... Yeah, or sneakily regard. Right, right. Because of how they conduct themselves. Wow, that's hard. <laughs> okay, so the restating the question mm -hmm. was... So that's about... Um, <laughs> no, you've got to say that one right. I'm going to repeat the first one yeah, first. Okay, I'll do the second. Um, what do you do when you bump into Christians who have a different view on the LGBT question, for example, and are saying that's all fine, mm -hmm. and you're saying it's not, and you've got two different views on that as with 
within Christian world, and then a question: Who do we kind of essentially sneakily disagree with, but sneakily kind of go? Well, actually, they're doing a good job. Mm. On the first, um, I guess I would first acknowledge that Christians do disagree on those issues, um, and that's I guess part of what we're talking about when you're in relationship with with people, but you disagree, and that that can be hard, but. Um, the aim would be to keep the relationship and try to work out, well, why do you think that way? And why do I think this way? And, and can, we, can we continue to dwell together and, and be together as Christians? And, and maybe can I persuade you? And can you persuade me? Or let me listen to what you say? Um, so I would try to reframe it as not like a, a breaking issue. Um, I also say that and recognize that for some Christians it will be. It will be, well, I can't be in fellowship with you because you think this, you take that position on that issue and I take this position on this issue. Um, again, I think we have to recognize the complexity of the world and the diversity of people to know that we don't all have to be best friends together as Christians. You can still remain in love and relationship with people, but perhaps take quite a different and, and almost a distance uh, relationship. In order to maintain the relationship, sometimes it's okay to, to distance. At least that's what my, uh, that's something that I would have thought of before. This is more your professional area, so I'm not gonna throw it over the history. So relationship's absolutely key to me and who the person is. So somebody in leadership, I'm probably gonna have a more robust conversation if I think they're leading people into a different view on that. But, and I've done that, and we find healthy ways to do that. Um, Online, lady called Jane Rosanna and I had an hour and a half long form conversation, which is much more preferred to me. We, we had engaged in social media and we've had shorter forms, so we took very different perspectives on this question and we went long and said, let's, let's work this all through. Um, but it, that's very different than my friends. For me, I find it easier just to articulate my view and set out where I'm coming from on some of these issues. And then I'm really happy to engage with people. I've been at Pride and being on a panel and Pride obviously knew they were fighting somebody who didn't agree with their position. That was fine to be able to do that. Again, that's I'm privileged to be able to do that maybe more publicly on that one. But I, I, to pivot slightly, uh, this is maybe not exactly what you're asking. In one sense, Stonewall, the old Stonewall, is an organization I look towards because there, there's a book or a paper written called After the Ball, and it was how to move society's um, perspective in terms of gay and lesbian relationships. And in terms of a playbook, it's like nothing ever written. I mean, it's insane what they did. They actually wrote a longer book about it, but the 15-page playbook has proven to be where the gay uh, kind of movement has gone in the last 30 years. In terms of shifting culture, they had thought about it and, and have done that incredibly well. Now, I fundamentally disagree with them, and now I think it's eating itself, and there's a whole other question about what's going on. But I do look and think we were not as good at culture change. They understood what it was to disciple a culture. We're not thinking cultural discipleship at that level. We're in like, Plan and the minnows by comparison. So we need to learn. I, I go and say, I want to learn a little bit what you did. Now, I'm holding all the cautions and caveats because I'm saying I fundamentally disagree in different ways in which you've done that and means to an end and some of those questions I have. But they did cultural high-level discipleship while we were thinking one-to-one -one discipleship is vastly important. <laughs> but we didn't also think how does big culture shift happen? And we got caught on the back foot and we are still reacting to it. So I, I do want to look to organizations like that as to how to think better about it. Mm. On that bombshell. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. I guess I would also say, and it's perhaps back to the first question a little bit, and then I'll address the second. Um, 
is that I do think as Christians we can, and this is maybe where where we're going to start to disagree and then we're going to end the thing. Um, But it can be hard sometimes to say what we know that we don't know and easier to say, no, I know X, Y, Z. But if if you're not sure about an issue, and I think that some for some Christians engaging in some of the, the cultural challenges at the minute, it comes back to the call. There are gray areas in this, and it can be hard to know what the, what the right response is in any given situation. And for every individual Christian, it's going to be different. And it might not look like standing up and take a very strong kind of manifesto position. But at the same time, we need to be able to to have the posture that allows the body of the church to to go about his work in this area in that a diversity of ways. So you on the Nolan show, as well as being with, you know, uh, someone who is your LGBTQ plus friend and still being that friend and being close to them and supporting them and walking them through what life's putting before them, regardless of or in the company of your conviction on that issue, whatever that might be. And I think there has to be a grace that is sufficient enough to allow Christians to be on um, different sides of some of these issues. Um, yeah. And on the, the secret, to be honest, I the engage in politics and things, so I, um, I don't engage with secret secretly it's not a not a hidden thing um but i do think and i have found personally that uh working with uh government uk government european level government officials here um political parties here local activists here there is a lot that you can learn about the the values and the conduct in culture that can inform your walk with jesus in a direct, oh, spider, classic, um, in a way that is, you know, you're directly learning and going to apply that or you're looking and saying, wow, that's not, that, that's not a good way to go about that. I'm going to, you know, see the difference and go otherwise. Uh, so I would just acknowledge that there's a lot to be learned out there. I think we might be over um, at time. As in, sorry, that's also my last, uh, you might have I last have 10 seconds. No. Listen well would be my other thing. We maybe didn't say, make sure we're listening so we're engaging. Because most of the questions on sexuality, for example, aren't often about relationships, it's identity. Something like that. You, know, you just miss it and you go to the wrong place in our engagement. And our job is often to hold up the mirror and reflect something back, not always to persuade people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Last word from you and then we better go. I'm not sure I have a last word. Can I just quickly pray, actually? Yes. Um, so... Lord, we just acknowledge that you are Lord and we thank you that you are the one who spoke us all into being and God, there is no issue or controversy that is beyond you. And so, King of Kings, we acknowledge you and we thank you and we pray that you would give us grace and wisdom that comes from heaven to engage well and to to glorify you in all of our discussions and our relationships and the ways in which we walk through this world. In your holy name we pray and would you bless the rest of the evening for this rain to go off in approximately five minutes. Amen.